Philippians in chapter 2. Philippians in chapter 2. If it's not too much of a problem, keep your Bible open. We do a lot of flip-flopping, uh, mainly because I'm, I have a difficult time remembering names as well as Scripture. Uh, and so I don't want to misquote anything. I don't want to misrepresent anything in any way. So we're going to try to read uh, quite a bit tonight. Uh, so if you would, keep your Bibles open. And, uh, and I'll give a little time to flip because I have a difficult time finding these small chapter uh, books as well. So we're going to begin tonight in Philippians in chapter 2. Philippians in chapter 2, verse 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for blessing all of us with the health and strength. Be safe here again tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, through it, we have, we have your plan of salvation. Lord, through your word, we have hope. Through your word, we have guidance. We have the ultimate instruction manual here on this earth. Yeah. Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us so we could open our hearts. We might be willing and able to receive what you'd have to say to us tonight. Lord, help us all that we could go out in our everyday life, Lord, that we could be that light, that we could exemplify Christ on a daily basis, yeah. that we could never do or say anything that would bring shame or reproach upon your great and holy name. Yeah. Lord, help us to surrender ourselves to be used of you. Help us throughout this service tonight. Bless all those I do to pray for. Give us our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who is Jesus? Not a rhetorical question. Anybody. Who is Jesus? Son of God. Yeah. Who else is Jesus? Savior. Who else is Jesus? God may manifest. All good answers. My answer was Jesus is the goat. Bear with me. If, if you're in, in, tap, in touch with the younger generation, you know that goat is an acronym. It means greatest of all time. Uh, whenever Kobe Bryant passed, and I'm not trying to bring sports into it, but it's, you'll, get, you'll get where I'm going. When he passed, everybody called him the goat. When Michael Jordan was playing basketball, everybody called him the goat. You got baseball players, Derek Jeter, they call him the goat, the greatest of all time. It's an acronym. My kids a, a few weeks ago was talking about, well, well, who is the best at this and who is the best at that? And, and I asked them, I said, well, you know who the ultimate goat is? I'm not sure Jesus ever played basketball or baseball, but, but in, in my mind and in my heart, Jesus is the goat. Because he is the ultimate, the ultimate greatest of all time. Yeah. No doubt at, at anything because in, in everything that he was made manifest on this earth, he was perfect. And so whenever someone asks me who Jesus is, my answer is he's the goat. But I have to back that up with Bible. And, and I try real hard to, and we're going to try to back up tonight, who is Jesus why we think he's the goat. Whenever you think about someone that is great, someone that, that in this world... In this world's eyes, they idolize someone that they put up on a pedestal. Whenever you think about uh, somebody that the world looks up to tremendously, what, what is something that that person has to have? And there's a few things that I come up with. They have to be famous, right? They, they have to draw a crowd. Uh, they have to have some kind of substance. They have to bring results in whatever field that, that they're claiming to be great at. Not only that, they, most of the time they possess some form of leadership. And then they bring hope to those who can't in almost all instances. 
And then the last thing is, is they have to have a purpose. Something is motivating them. Something is driving them. And so with that in mind, we're going to dive into the scripture tonight. And we're going to look at why Jesus really is the goat. He really is the ultimate. He really is the greatest of all time. With that in mind, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew. We're going to spend quite a lot of time in the Gospels, mainly because that's where we mainly see Jesus talking. Matthew in chapter 4. Matthew in chapter 4. Down about verse 24. This is right after Jesus uh, called his disciples. And, and if you kind of put the Gospels together, Jesus has done a few other things uh, before this particular verse come along. But verse 24, the third word right there, and his fame. Right there we see Jesus is famous all through the Bible. We read about the multitudes that follow him. Matthew in chapter 4, verse 24, and his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people. That were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy. And he healed them. He was famous. His fame spread throughout all of Syria. If you would flip over with me to Matthew in chapter 5. Matthew in chapter 5. Oh, I flipped one too far. Matthew in chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the multitudes. Jesus drew a crowd. He couldn't walk down the street without people noticing who he was. People no doubt that had never seen him. They saw the crowds form, and, and a lot of times it happens with us. Whenever you see a big commotion, what do you do? You run toward it because something's going on, something is happening. And, and in this particular instance, the uh, multitude gathered around Jesus, and, and this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew in chapter 5. This is where Jesus preached to him. He had a multitude. He was... Famous in anything and everything that he did. Even when he told uh, the people, and, and me and my wife were discussing this the other night, so many miracles that Jesus did, he told them, tell no one. Don't tell anybody. Even though he told them that, guess what happened? People's going to talk. People's going to talk. We, we had a situation at school, and, and nobody was ever supposed to find out about it. And in a matter of minutes, you were hearing it from everybody on campus. They didn't have cell phones in the Bible days, but it, it still happened. Word spread. Jesus got famous quick. And, and then with that fame, he started drawing crowds. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark in chapter 2. Hold your spot in Matthew. We're going to be right there, in, right back there in just a second. Mark in chapter 2. Mark in chapter 2, verse 1. And he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. People knew he was coming. People knew he was there. He couldn't keep it a secret. His travels, no, no doubt, were known far and wide. And for someone who's traveling on foot, for the word of mouth to beat him to places is, is impressive. Without cell phones, without telephones, computers, email, well, even without, without telegrams. I mean, this was strictly people talking to people here. Mark in chapter 2, verse 1, And he entered to Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together. That word straightway there, in a hurry. Quick, fast, it didn't take no time for them people to right there around him. But it wasn't just some people. And straightway, many were gathered together. Insomuch there was no room to receive him. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. These people were, were thick as hair on a dog's back. You couldn't fit another person. It was standing room only. How many places do you see that nowadays? This wasn't even in a church. This was in a house. This wasn't even a, a man dressed in a suit and tie and, and revival announced uh, weeks in advance. This was word of mouth. They heard he was coming. 
And whenever he stopped in this house, they were there. Not only was Jesus famous to the point that everybody heard about him, Jesus was famous to the point that everybody wanted to see him. Everybody wanted to, to well, we read Matthew, that they wanted to bring their sick people to him. Here in Mark, the, the account is where they, they took the roof off and they brought the bed down through the ceiling. These people worked hard to get to Jesus. These people knew that Jesus was important. No doubt a lot of them, and uh, no doubt, consented to their death. And so he, they didn't know how important. But they still knew somehow or another Jesus was important. Somehow or another he meant something to somebody. Somehow or another he was here for a reason. To them he was important. And so whenever somebody is important, whenever somebody is, is famous and they draw a crowd, they, they then have to bring results. Because if Derek Jeter averaged four errors a game and never made the highlight reel, not many people would show up to play. Of course, he'd be out of a job. Same thing if, if one of the famous basketball players averaged four points a game. Not many people would show up to see him play. And in the same way, if Jesus did not bring results, his fame would have come to naught. But Jesus did bring results. We're going to turn and read a few of them. If you would, flip back over to Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 14. Matthew in chapter 14, we read about another multitude that had gathered. Matthew in chapter 14, down about verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence in a ship into the desert, a place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Jesus was trying to get away from them. Jesus was, was leaving by ship. No doubt they had a longer journey around on foot. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening... The disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the village and buy themselves victuals. And Jesus said, They need not depart. Give them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither unto me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples. And the disciples to the multitude, and they all did eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments, remained twelve baskets full. Jesus brought results. Here you see that the multitude, and not just any multitude, it says there was a great multitude. They didn't just show up. It wasn't down the street. It wasn't convenient where, where we could just walk down the road. Well, we see a bunch of lights down here. Let's go see what's going on. Jesus got on a ship, and they had to go around this is walking. It said they were in the desert, probably hot. Not very many people brought food with them if all they had was, was five loaves of bread and two fish. But Jesus brought results. Not only a lot of times we'll overlook it, and it's very, very easy. It said that they, he fed them here, but he did something else first. He healed their sick. He saw what, the reason they were there. He, he saw their, their faith in following him, knowing that he was there for a reason, knowing he was great. How often do we recognize the greatness of Jesus? How often do we recognize what he can do for us? These people saw it. No doubt a lot of them came unprepared, not because of, of just a lack of thinking about it, but a little bit out of faith. Turn with me, if you would, to John in chapter 11. We'll read about another instance here. It has a little bit to do with faith, but has a lot to do with Jesus. John in chapter 11 is the account of Lazarus. Very few times in the Bible do you see people risen from the dead. 
John in chapter 11, we see Lazarus has died. Not only has Lazarus died, but, but Jesus was being blamed for it. In verse 21, it says, Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He's done been in the ground too long. He stinks by now. But, very important word. Even, even as upset as she was, she knew who Jesus was. Even as, as long as Lazarus had been in that grave, she knew who Jesus was. If you'd have been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Even though all of these things are against us, even though that, that, that intellectually and, and physically and, and by the constraints of the laws that, that man has put on this universe, it cannot happen. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Jesus raised him up. That's something that very few people on this earth has ever got the opportunity to do. And Jesus is one of the only ones that ever did it. Rose somebody from the dead. This man brought results. Uh, I've heard uh, my pastor, he calls it, uh, what's the exact words he used? Uh, is God, God man or God child? I think when he was talking about the birth of Jesus. Because he's God made manifest. He's God the son. And so whatever he says here, whatever I will ask of God, God will give to thee. Jesus said unto her, Thou brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Here you see there, there may have been a teensy weensy little bit of doubt. Martha said, I know he'll rise again. She had made her peace with it. I know he'll rise again. We're all going together in, in heaven one day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And the life, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth shall never die. Believeth thou this? And she, said, she saith unto him, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which, come, which should come into the world. And when she had said it, she went her way and called Mary, her sister secretly, saying, The Master has come and calleth for thee. And as soon as they heard it, they went in. Quick, arose quickly and came unto him and Jesus was not yet coming to the town but was in a place where Martha had met him. He was still outside the town. He had not made it to the tomb. Jesus was important enough to, to these two women that both of them ran outside the town to meet him. Remember where you're talking about here. You're talking about in the Middle East where everything is dusty, where everything is nasty, where everything is not paved or, or even grassed over oftentimes. You're talking about putting forth an effort to get to Jesus. You're talking about uh, multiple occasions here of people that, that put forth an effort to not only to see Jesus, but we read in the scripture about the woman who, who fought the crowds to touch the hem of his garment. We just read about the people that took the roof off the place to get their friend down. A lot of times we, we think about the, the man and how he was healed and he took up his bed and walked. And a lot of times we, we miss the, the faith that those people had to have. We miss the faith that those four had to have just to do that. Uh, short of family, I'm not sure if I would think twice about, uh, about helping a friend take a roof off to let them down in the house, especially to see a man here on earth. But they knew how important Jesus was. To this group of people, Jesus was the greatest of all time. Turn with me, if you would, to John in chapter 9. John in chapter 9, we read another instance. 
Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man, verse 1, which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither has sin, has the man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day and the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had spoken, he spat on the ground and made a clay of spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, Siloam which is interpretation sent. And when he, he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. This man not only saw the, the physical world for the first time in his life, this man saw Jesus for the first time in his life. And, and no doubt whenever the man went and washed, it said that he went his way, he departed from Jesus and went and washed in the pool. And whenever he, he opened up his eyes and, and no doubt had to adjust to everything around him, and for the first time in his life, he's laying his eyes on the, the street and the people, and, and for the first time in his life, he saw Jesus. Jesus wasn't physically there, but he saw Jesus. He saw the greatness of Jesus in what he did, in his works. We see the greatness of Jesus not in, in strictly faith and, and believing it. We see the greatness of Jesus in everything that he does. Not did, does. Because, yes, we can read uh, about places in, in Matthew in chapter 8 where he cleansed the leper, and we can read about places here in, in John in chapter 9 where he, where, he, where he healed the blind man. We raised Lazarus. But if we only see what Jesus did and we stop seeing what Jesus is doing and what Jesus does and what Jesus will do, then we are losing sight that Jesus is actually the greatest of all time. Because be very, be very, very careful what tense you put Jesus in. I got told by an English teacher at school that my English is not the best in the world. And, uh, and it's really not. It's not. I, I never profess myself to be absolutely wonderful at the English language. Uh, I blame it on the Pine High School education. But, uh, but, but I'm often, uh, I get my tenses mixed up a lot. And, and the have and the has and the had and, and all that. And, and, and English is confusing. It really is. But all too often we put Jesus in had. I'm guilty of it. I put Jesus in. Jesus did this. And I forget about, well, look what Jesus is doing. We say Jesus cured this man with an ED. That means he, he did it. But let's look at who Jesus is curing. Amen. Let's look at who he's helping. Because whenever we pray to God, we're praying in Jesus' name. Whenever someone gets saved, they're believing on Jesus' name. But we can't forget, even though Jesus brought results, Jesus is still bringing results. Amen. Jesus is still the greatest of all time. It's not about that he was. Amen. And that's the difference in the, the, the goat of the world and the goat of eternity. The goat of this world was. Michael Jordan don't play much NBA basketball anymore. Derek Jeter has retired. Kobe Bryant's no longer with us. And, and past presidents that everybody said was just gung-ho is no longer in power. Jesus said Jesus is still the goat. Jesus is still the greatest of all time. And, 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 and he always will be. Amen. It's not something that can, that can go away. It's not something that can change. Jesus cannot, cannot degrade in any way. Because as time goes on, he only continues to do. He only continues to make manifest his works and his results in our life and in our churches. 
We have to be willing to let him. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians in chapter 2. Oh, let's see if I can find that little bitty book again. There we go. Philippians in chapter 2. Talked a little bit uh, to begin with uh, about the qualifications of a leadership, uh, of a, excuse me, of a, uh, a goat. Someone who is the greatest of all time. And they have to be famous. They have to draw a crowd. Uh, and they have to bring results. But another thing is, is almost all people that you put in that position that you look up to, they have some form of leadership. And Jesus, Jesus did. But it's a little bit different kind of form of leadership. Because you see two different kinds in history, if you look back through man's history, really. You see the type of leadership that is a kind of a monarchy, dictatorship, it's my way or the highway. Somebody that is, is all-powerful and all-control. And no doubt, that is, that is God. God is all-powerful and in control. But whenever Jesus came to this earth, Jesus had a different form of leadership. And you see this in, in not enough people today, but Jesus had a servant's leadership. Amen. And that's something that's rare. But it says here in Philippians, in chapter 2, let's see, where am I at? Verse 4. Philippians in chapter 2, verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, but if you think about it, this, this is a pretty good sacrifice right here. Yeah. Jesus went from, from being the, the top of the pedestal in heaven to being down here and, and having the same aches and pains as us. To having the same temptations with fights with the devil as we do. Jesus took on a servant's leadership. Whenever somebody commenced to, to ridiculing him, and he didn't, he didn't fuss and throw a fit and fight. He argued with the Scripture. He gave them the word of God. Whenever the devil tempted him, how, how did he beat him? With the scripture. With the word of God. He, he took on the form of men so that we could see an example of how we are to combat those same problems. As difficult as it may be on a daily basis, we are not supposed to scream and holler at those kids that we teach or have in some people's case. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to show them uh, the, the spirit of Christ that, that lives within each and every one of us to say, we're supposed to show them this mind that is in us. We're supposed to take upon ourselves the form of a servant. When I was playing basketball as a kid, uh, Daddy always told me he played the point guard. I never really was short enough to be the point guard. But uh, he, he said that the, sometimes the, the MVP on the court is the, the guy that passes the ball. He may not score a lot of points, but he's involved in every play. Sometimes that's the greatest leader that we can be. We don't score all the points. We don't get all the credit. But we assist on every single play. We help everyone that could possibly need it. We take on the form of a servant. And through that, through our humbleness, through the mind that is in us, that was in Christ, we can become leaders. In the same way, Jesus became a leader because he was different. If he would have blown up on the Pharisees every time, and, and he, he had a lot more patience than a lot of us do, if he would have blown up on them every time, that would have made him the same as, as everyone else. But whenever he 
had patience, whenever he tried to help them, whenever he fought them with, with Scripture. And they were masters in the law, and, and he, he, he taught them the law. They knew something was different. Jesus brought results even through his leadership. Turn with me, if you would, one more time to John in chapter 13. John in chapter 13 is a very familiar scripture. The ultimate, and I say the ultimate, one of the ultimate signs of leadership. Jesus did not worry. Well, let's go ahead and read it. John in chapter 13, verse 5, or verse 4. And he riseth up from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the feet, the disciples' feet, and wiped them with a towel wherewith he was girded. It takes a lot to wash somebody's feet. It really does. Somebody's stinking, nasty, got something growing on its feet. It takes a lot to wash that. These people didn't have all the, the foot care products that we have today. These people walked around in sandals. Can you imagine how disgusting that was? That was Jesus' form of, of, of becoming a servant. That was Jesus humbling himself. That was Jesus, Jesus giving us an example. Because that's the same form of leadership we're supposed to take every day. The form of leadership that, that often is, is, is hammered into us. Lead by example. Here we go. We have the ultimate example. We have the greatest example of all time. Another thing is he brings hope. Luke in chapter 4. Luke in chapter 4. Leader must draw crowds. Leader must be famous. I'm sorry. A goat must draw crowds. A goat must be famous. A goat must have results. A goat must be a leader. But whenever we watch, and just think about it as a child, looking through a child's eyes, when you watch some of these guys play sports or you watch some of the, the presidents speak on the TV, it's, you're kind of in awe of them. Because whenever you have a favorite player, you're investing in them all of the hope that you have in the sport. You're putting a lot on them because they're giving you an opportunity to watch even though you'll never be a part of it. You're getting hope through these people, whether you believe it or not. You're investing in them. Luke in chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus' words, the Bible's got it in red. Jesus speaking here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those, I'm sorry, them that are bruised. Jesus was brought to bring hope, not only to the lost and dying world of our generation, but to the people that he walked and talked with on a daily basis. Jesus brought them hope. Jesus healed their sick. Jesus, even by touching his garment, the woman was healed. Jesus said that, that he felt virtue go out of him just by, by reaching and touching him. He was helping people around him. Sometimes without even knowing it. We read of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus heard he was coming. He made an effort. Jesus helped him. Jesus turned his life around. Jesus brought this man a, a hope and a perspective that he'd never seen before. 
Jesus brought this man hope because he was the greatest of all time. The last thing that, that someone is the greatest of all time has to have is a purpose. So turn with me if you would to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. If you're going to be the greatest of all time, you've got to be the greatest at something. And we're not talking about Jesus being the greatest at everything because he was. But Jesus came to this world for a reason. And I want to talk about that reason just a minute because in all reality, that's the reason we're here. That's the reason we worship Christ. That is the reason that, that we have been given a commission to go into the world and tell everybody about it. So whenever somebody asks you, who is Jesus? And you tell them the Savior. Savior of what? Savior of me? Savior of you? How? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus took everything that we were supposed to have to bear. Jesus took all of the pain and all of the suffering that was supposed to belong to us. And He took it all. That's why Jesus was the greatest of all time. That's why Jesus came. That was His purpose. His purpose was to redeem fallen mankind because we couldn't do it. No matter how great or how wonderful somebody may be, they can't be perfect. They just can't do it. Most of us can't even be perfect for a day. I dare say none of us can be perfect for a day. And yet Jesus was perfect for his whole life because he knew no sin, but he became sin for us. Last time, Luke in chapter 19, I promise we're going to wrap it up. Luke in chapter 19. For those of you that are lost, Jesus is the greatest of all time. He's our, he's our hope. He's our Savior. And if you're here and lost, you have no hope. You have no Savior. Whenever we talk about Jesus, maybe your heart feels empty. I, I don't know. Because you can't have the joy that I have. You can't have the perspective on Jesus that I have. Luke in chapter 19, verse 10. Well, let's back up to verse 9. And Jesus said unto them, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was the greatest, but he came with a purpose. He came with a purpose to save. He came with a purpose to redeem. He came with a purpose so that each and every one of us will not have to go and, and, and live this life and, and die in a devil's hell. I, I don't remember when I heard it or where I heard it. I think it was a missionary from Germany that come to our church a week or two ago. But I wrote it down, and it said uh, he was talking about the, the YOLO, another acronym. Those of you who are young know it. You only live once. He said, that ain't right. He said, you're going one of two directions. I'm going to read this so I don't mess it up. He said, you're either born once and you die twice. Or you're born twice and you die once. One of the two. You're either born once naturally. And if you never get born again, you're going to die twice. Because you're going to die here on this earth. And then at that, at that, at that judgment, it's going to be a second death. And you're going to die again. And you're going to wish... That for all eternity, you could have a little bit of relief. Just, just a little 
a bit of relief. I burned myself on a screw today. We, we put one in a, a board and pulled it out real fast, and I reached and grabbed it like a dummy, and it, and it burned my hand, and it really hurt. And, and, and so I always compare just small burns like that, and I can't even imagine what hell is going to feel like. It's going to burn hot. It's going to burn forever if you're only born once. Jesus came to this world so that we could be born twice. Because whenever we're born again, then we only die once. We die a natural death. And if Jesus tarries is coming, each and every one of us will die at least that natural death. If you're here and lost, I want you to only die that natural death. And I believe that's the prayer of your pastor. That is the prayer of your church. Because if you only get born once on this earth, you will die twice. And that second one will be so much worse than the first one. Jesus came and, and, and he, he said that and several times in the New Testament. He said, believe on me. Believe on me. It's awful simple. Whenever we came in, we all sat down and we believed these would hold us up. We didn't test them. We didn't try them. We didn't hold on to, to a prayer that we prayed that then somebody said, hey, you're saved. You, you got to be. You prayed that. We're not holding on to something that is not Jesus. We're not holding on to something that we know is not the greatest of all time. Because let's talk about emotions for a minute. Salvation is the greatest of all time. I've been married to a wonderful wife back there. I love her to death. Our wedding day was wonderful. It's second to salvation. Salvation is the greatest of all time. It goes right along with the reason for salvation. Jesus is the greatest of all time. My prayer today is that each and every one of us can be born twice. And I once. Well, we have a verse of a song.